Good morning, church. <laughs> My name is Jamie, and, um, and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace, and we ask um, that we hear your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Guys, I loved this morning's collect, okay? I love what we prayed together as the church, and that we added our local church voice to um, the voices of the other saints who prayed it today. Uh, we asked God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, right, so that we may be devoted to him with our whole heart. Jimmy, you can put it up there if you, if you want. No? Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Bummer. Okay. So up there now, okay, so um, we asked for the Holy Spirit um, to help us be devoted to God with our whole heart. And that means like there's no division or partitions in our heart, right? We ask God to make us devoted to only Him. And is that something that we really want? Or is it something that we know we're supposed to want? Can you imagine just hitting you guys with that first thing just right out the gate? <laughs> and what else did we ask for in the prayer? Um, the grace to be unified to one another with pure affection. Wholehearted devotion to God and pure affection for our neighbors. And it sounds impossible. But in the first line of this prayer, you know, we profess that God has given us this instruction, right? Oh God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. We have the instructions on how to do this. And we even have Jesus's life as an example of how to do it. So either we can't do it ourselves or we won't do it ourselves. So we ask for help. We ask for God to give us the grace of the Holy Spirit so that these instructions become possible. Devotion to God and loving our neighbor becomes possible. It's a really great prayer. And it's a prayer that points to our need, right? Our shortcoming as individuals and as the church. Because it is so easy for us to look at the world and be horrified, you know, and say, oh, they need Jesus. And if that's true, like, if they need Jesus, then, like, what's our excuse? Yeah. So in this short prayer, we admit that we, we don't have the power to live how God instructs us to live and that we need help. And we need God's help, not human help, right? There's not a government or a law on the history of the earth that can transform our hearts to be devoted to God or united in pure affection to our neighbor. That is such a good and needed prayer. So let's look at another prayer. Today's text is from Psalm 30, which is hilarious because that's the same psalm that Karen picked today as well. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, just except for the Lord. Uh, so, 
think he's really, I think he was really driving on this psalm today. Uh, so it goes um, a little something like this. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. What a poem. Yeah, amen. It's a poem. It's a praise. It's a prayer. And I don't know how often you pray a psalm or if you even consider psalms to be prayers. Like, I know we typically think of them as poems or songs, but they are some of the best prayers. And psalms can teach us to praise and lament, and they can also teach us to pray honest prayers, wise prayers. And Martin Luther said that the Psalter teaches you in joy, fear, hope, and sorrow to think and speak as all the saints have thought and spoken. I think that's a really cool way to put it. Uh, when we started our Read the Bible Together group, I really enjoyed that there was a psalm every day. You know, it was a nice way to end my morning Bible time. And after a while, you know, it hit me that, you know, these are poems, and poetry is meant to be read out loud. It's for our brains and our ears. So I started reading the psalm out loud to myself. Um, it felt weird, but you just go with it. I mean, the dog was in there, too. And, uh, and then after a while of this, I noticed that I was saying amen after I read the psalm. And that was kind of weird because I didn't grow up in a space where people said amen uh, unless they were finishing a prayer, you know, or if it was part of the liturgy. And I know that this space, um, we often say amen out loud as a way to agree with what was just said. But I didn't grow up that way, so I'm, I'm rarely compelled to do that. And so, you know, it hit me. I just, I just said amen. Like, was I praying that psalm? Like, is that okay? <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, it's okay. Spoiler alert, it's okay. <laughs> yes. Um, so I continued to do it. Okay, but this time it was on purpose, you know? I was doing it with purpose. And... Um, 
I'd pray them out loud for my ears and God's ears and anyway, it's awesome. Okay. And, but sometimes it's scary because sometimes, you know, there's those cursing Psalms in there that, um, you know, I thought, am I allowed to say that out loud, you know, or should I say it out loud? Um, but I do, I've made it part of my, you know, regular, um, discipline, I guess you'd say to pray the Psalm and, uh, yeah, it's been great. Thanks for asking. And, um, now, I don't know if some people might think that it's, like, disingenuous to pray a prayer that's not, like, your own prayer. I'm like, I can't imagine anyone. But, yes, I can totally imagine someone. And um, and so to that, you know, I would say, you know, like, grow up. <laughs> and um, there's nothing insincere about praying a psalm to God. No. He does. I, it never, yes. Um, and... You know, even, what's so great is, like, if I'm having a rough week, and, you know, I've got nothing to say, I do have a book with 150 choice things that I can say to God. You know, and even if I pick one at random, even if I, my heart's not in it, and I'm not looking for one that, like, describes what I'm going through, if I just pick it at random, like, do you think God's going to be like, wait to phone it in, James? Like, no, it, just, it doesn't work that way. And every time that I think that I'm just going through the motions, I'm proved wrong, you know. And um, because that I've, I've prayed these words, these prayers so often now in someone else's prayers, but now I hear my voice in them too. And, um, and here, here's this example that I'm kind of embarrassed to cop to it, but let's, we're just going to go for it. Like one day I had nothing, right? Or so I thought. And I, I was just like, I'm just going to go through the motions. And it turned out it was Psalm 27 that day. And I think you guys probably know that one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it hit me all at once. You know, I was like, no, are you kidding me? In what world, Lord? I have a whole list of whoms that I fear, right? And God was like, oh, there she is glad to see you, you know? So the Psalms are honest prayers, and they can teach us to be honest in our prayers. Yeah, and not just honest in what we're feeling, okay, or honest in our circumstances and our needs, but honest in our confessions, too. Our confessions of our sins and shortcomings. And even in Psalm 30, this psalm of praise that focuses on God's salvation the psalmist admits his failings, right? His need for mercy. So let's have a look at it. Uh, it starts out, you know, I will exalt you, Lord. And it ends with, Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. It's a prayer of praise through and through. And why is the author, presumably David, why is he praising God? Well, it says, uh, for you lifted me out of the depths. My enemies didn't get to gloat at my failure. You healed me. You brought me up from the realm of the dead. So he praises God for saving him. And notice, he needed saving. Okay, he was in the depths. He was in the realm of the dead. He was in a position to be ridiculed, and he had a wound or a sickness. 
He's not praising God for preventing all of that. He's not praising for the prevention of his failure. He's praising him for the rescue from his failure. And the failure and the need for healing is not specified, right? That's the beauty of the Psalms. They're, they're pretty vague in, uh, enough to apply to all of us, right? You don't have to be a King David to appreciate what's going on in a psalm. And in verse 4, he tells God's faithful people, and that's us too, he tells us to sing praises to the Lord. And is it a command or an invitation? Uh, both. We'll go with both. And why? Why are we to sing the praises of the Lord? Because his anger is temporary. That is what he leads with. I have to say, I can't think of any worship song that we sing that leads with praising God for his short-term anger. I know it just killed the sermon, by the way, because everyone's trying to think of like a worship song in their head right now about anger or something. Um, or at least I did when I wrote that sentence. I was like, wait, do we? <laughs> Wasted 20 minutes on that. But why would we praise God for his temporary anger? No, better question. Who would sing about God's temporary anger as a genuine praise? Well, someone who had made God angry, right, and repented and got to come back to him, right? Someone with that experience, like, oh, yeah, they can praise God for his temporary anger, right? So do you see how that praise is also a confession? Because if we skip over the short-term anger, okay, and go straight to praising God for his enduring favor, like, we're missing a pretty big deal. And I, I think, I would guess that too often... We read this or pray this, and we assume we're in line for that lifelong favor, you know. We just skip ever contemplating any kind of anger that we might be on the receiving end of. But not David, not the psalmist. That is what he starts with. It's awesome. And in verse 6 and 7, we get another confession right? When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Again, the psalm is vague. We're not told what he did to make God decide to hide his face. But David admits, he brags even, that he'll never be shaken, right? And sure enough, something happens, and he's no longer secure. He is, he is shaken. And God won't look at him. So, in verse 8, he cries out to God for mercy. But the psalm doesn't tell us how long it took, you know? I wonder, like, was it fast? Or when he hit the bottom, did he immediately cry out to God? Or did he hang out a while, you know, feeling sorry for himself and maybe blaming other people for his misery? We're not told. But I know how my patterns of dismay go. In verses 8 through 10, he prays. There's a prayer inside the prayer. He calls out to God for mercy. But listen to this prayer. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? 
what? What did he just say to God? And this isn't the first time that David has prayed this sort of thing, okay? In Psalm 6, in verses 4 and 5, David prays, Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? That is bold. Now, Psalm 6 is a lament, and Psalm 30 is a praise. But look how similar the circumstances are. In 30, you know, David is very upset because God has hidden his face from him. And in 6, David asks the Lord to turn, right? Face him, deliver him. And not because he deserves it, but because of God's unfailing love. And then they, they both have these bold questions. Who praises you from the grave? If I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Is anyone comfortable with that line of questioning? God, if I'm dead, who or what is going to praise you? Can you imagine being that bold? You know, it kind of feels like he's bargaining with God. But you'll notice he's not saying, if you save me, then I'll praise you. Right? He's not, he's not trying to make a deal. But he is making a bold statement with these questions, right? And he's saying that his life is a praise to God. And may our lives be praises to God. And I don't know, you know, when he asks, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if he's asking that literally, right? If he's like, if I'm dead, is the dust of the earth going to take over? Or if he's referring to his own dust as an ancestor of Adam who was created from dust, right? Does David ask God that if he is silenced, will his dust still praise? I don't know. That is like the, the wonderful, frustrating mystery of poetry. And he finishes his prayer with, hear me, be merciful to me. And we know that God saves him because the first three verses have already told us that God lifted him from the depths and from death. God answers this bold prayer for mercy, this amazing prayer of praise, and this confession of man's failure and of God's faithfulness. And throughout this psalm, the psalmist shows us and God that the whole time, he has been powerless. He has no power, right? From beginning to end, he's had no power uh, of his own to help himself. And when he did feel secure, in verse 6, he couldn't hold on to that security, right? David's a king, okay? He's a king, and he cannot create or hold on to his own security, The psalmist is powerless. And what does he do? He praises God and he asks for mercy. Does he ask for power? No. Does he get power? No. No, he gets mercy. Yeah. He gets his life, 
He gets healed. In verse 11, his mourning gets turned into dancing. He gets a change of clothes, right? From sackcloth to garments of joy. But he never gets the power to save himself or to secure himself. And he doesn't get power over his enemies. And even his bold prayer where he reminds God that his life is his praise, he's not asking for what he's owed for that. Right? He's definitely not asking for justice. He asks for mercy. And do we pray like this? Or how often do we pray like this? Right? How often is our prayer a praise that also confesses our failure, our powerlessness? And how often do we rejoice, not for security or the justice that we think we deserve, but for the mercy that we receive from God? I challenge us as individuals and as the church to pray like this. Honest prayers that confess our powerlessness, that cry out to God for grace and mercy, and not so we can have power, but so we can focus on God and devote our whole hearts to him, right? Which doesn't lead to our victory over enemies, but it unifies us in pure affection with our neighbors. Amen.